Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting. All right, good morning, everyone, and good morning, Kim. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Oh, look, it's some different faces here today. Uh, no uh, Andrew and Karen, not cursed by Friday the 13th. I can certainly oh. assure you of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. But no, both very well and safe as far as we're aware. Yeah. <laughs> but um, our intrepid leader, Andrew, off for some more travel at the moment. So enjoying that new life, that new open world we're living in again. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. And we've got some special viewers that we want to shout out to today, yeah, of course. Yeah, we do. We lost our lovely Julia Holt, who left us a couple of weeks ago to a But hi, Julia. I hear you're watching, so enjoy. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, no, we do miss you, and we thank do. you for tuning in today. Yeah. Well, look, um, before we get into the cases today, we've got a couple of bits of sort of newsworthy items to walk through that we thought we'd spend a little bit more time on this week. A really interesting one in the context of Andrew's discussions over the last uh, few weeks about differences between jurisdictions. Well, thanks to the Victorian government, we've got another one in the Equal Opportunity Act and in the discrimination space. You might have seen earlier this week laws in Victoria decriminalising sex work came into effect. And as part of that suite of changes, the government have introduced a new protected attribute to the Equal Opportunity Act, which is the attribute of profession, trade or occupation. Now, intended really to capture uh, people who have worked in sex work or who are sex workers to prevent them from being discriminated against on the basis of that work. But very interestingly, uh, the government have chosen to go for a broader definition, and it's actually not defined in the Act at all, just says profession, trade or occupation. Mm. What we're seeing is the Victorian Equal Opportunity Commission have picked up on that and said, well, look, this actually can apply to more than just simply uh, sex work. It can really apply to any profession, trade or occupation. So, mm. for example, you know, it would be discriminatory if you you know, had an office environment and you knew that an employee used to work as a cleaner, for example, if you overlooked them for a promotion or excluded them on that basis, that would be discrimination now mm-hmm. under the Act. Thankfully, there is a very clear exception, though, which is that where the discrimination would be necessary on the basis of the occupational requirements, it wouldn't be discrimination. So, for example, if we've got a teacher, yeah. uh, you know, if someone with no teaching experience, it's not discrimination to exclude them from the role. Okay, so I think it's a really positive thing, isn't it, Matt, because it means now that no matter what industry people work in, they can feel safe in the workplace. Oh, absolutely, Kim. I think yeah. it's a really big change. So perhaps some unintended effects given the uh, the kind of topic line there mm. about the sex workers, but a really fascinating development in yeah. this space. Uh, look, obviously another very popular topic for Andrew is uh, the gig economy and how things are changing and moving around in that space what we've seen this week is that Menulog and TWU have actually come to an agreement around some minimum standards that sit around the workers engaged by Menulog in the delivery driving services. Mm-hmm. Very unusual and unique sort of approach here that we're seeing. Nothing in sort of a binding agreement. It's not an enterprise agreement or anything of that nature, but simply some a sort of well-publicised agreement between the two on some standards and principles that they're going to apply 
across the board to their workers. Okay. So it's interesting, isn't it, Matt, that Menulog have taken a bit of a different approach to the likes of Uber, where they've actually agreed that their drivers are employees? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Kim. I mean, look, it's really fascinating. Menulog have sort of been the first one to put their heads above the parapets, so to speak. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've really sort of said, look, we're going to treat these employees not as independent contractors or some third different category of mm. workers. And look, that's had some good and bad for them. You know, they're currently sort of in yep. the Fair Work Commission fighting about the creation of an on-demand delivery award and they're taking a couple of losses there as well. Mm. So it's an interesting lesson about, you know, taking the steps before really we see state and federal governments do this and in the midst of an election campaign. Mm. I think we'll see, you know, in the next couple of months, regardless of who gets into government, um, some change there. So interesting for Menulog to take that jump. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. So no I'm just going to have a little chat about work cover, which will lead into the discussion that we'll be having later about reasonable management action. So we've got Victoria and New South Wales who are both finding themselves in a bit of financial difficulty at the moment with the cost of the work cover scheme. And it's the VWA was in a very similar position back in 2004 when they reduced the entitlement for weekly payments from retirement age to a cap of 130 weeks. And I think the driving force behind the increasing cost in the scheme at the moment is actually stress claims. Mm. We've seen quite a jump in mental health claims in recent years. It's gone from 6% of all claims being mental health to currently being 14%. And it's light, it's forecast to go up to 36% by 2030, which is absolutely huge. Big jump. Big jump. Mm. So that's really relevant to our employee, our employer clients because I think you'll see both an increase in the number of claims that you're receiving but also an increase in the number of claims that are accepted because the governments don't want to be seen as denying mental health claims. Mm. But they are the most expensive. They're the hardest to manage because it's very hard to get people with a mental health injury back to work if they feel that they've been bullied. Is this the case, um, you know, Australia-wide or is it just Victoria and New South oh, Wales? What are we looking at here? Um, so we've got South Australia, Queensland, Victoria and New South Wales are all government-regulated authorities. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a similar trend in terms of the acceptance of claims in those states. But interestingly, if you've got employees in Tassie, Western Australia and the two territories, it's the insurance companies who mm. bear the risk, okay. so they're more robust in terms of denying claims. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important point to keep in mind if you've got employees in those states. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And also you can negotiate your own premiums in those states as well, which you can't do that in the other states that are government regulated. There you go, Kim. Look, something very important, I think, to keep an eye on depending on mm. uh, where your business is located. But Look, so, so, yeah, some interesting news items there just to start off the week. But, look, let's dive straight into the cases because there's always some interesting cases that we've got to look at as well. Um, so, look, a really interesting one here, uh, we as employment lawyers always get really excited when a court has a look at anything in the national employment standards to a, you know, detailed degree. And here we have a federal court case looking at something I think that we always throw around quite a lot, but it's not always often that well understood, which is the concept of reasonable additional hours in the context of the National Employment Standards. It's so a really good case. It absolutely is, yeah. absolutely is. So here we have, you know, for our meat processing clients, it's exactly an mm. example straight in the meat processing industry, an employee three weeks after moving here from overseas, English obviously is a second language, uh, gets a job with the meat processor, uh, signs up to a really bare-bones contract. Like, the lack of detail in this is frightening when you uh, have a look through the document. Mm. It effectively says nothing about 
what modern award applies, says really almost nothing about the rate of pay, says nothing about really anything about the hours, save for that there's an agreement that he'll work for 50 hours a week. So 50, obviously, Excellent. 12 more than the 38, which is the normal full-time hours. Mm. And so, look, the union took this one up and said, look, you know, this is outrageous that we've got this employee mm. here. He's working 50 hours a week. That can't be reasonable and he's not being paid overtime. And so the court really, you know, the judge had a look through this one and said, well, look, you know, first of all, you paid this rate and you've called it. You've said to me before the court that it's a blended rate, which is a higher rate than what would have been captured under the award as an hourly rate, and you've alleged that it captures all the overtime and all those other payments. But, of course, Mm. importantly, there was nothing in the contract to say that's what it was for. So they didn't say in the contract that that was a payment that was meant to cover all hours, including the overtime hours. And importantly, they didn't even call the hours above 38 overtime. They just called it reasonable hours. Mm. So they just called it ordinary hours, excuse me, I should say. So when the court had a look at this one, they said, well, look, you know, you can't turn around after the fact with nothing in writing and nothing in the document and try to claim that Mm. this money should be offset. The court then had a look at, well, look, even if that is the case, you know, what about these hours? Is this 50 hours a week? You know, is that... Is that reasonable? And so the judge went through a set of factors that are set out actually in the Fair Work Act, which, again, often forgotten, I think, when people think about what is reasonable. But it's factors that the court must take into account and an employer must take into account when thinking about, well, are these additional hours reasonable? Mm. And, you know, forensically went through that based on the evidence. And importantly, the employer really failed to lead some key evidence about the sort of trends in the industry, you know, one of the key factors is, well, what is this sort of these hours being asked in the context of the industry? Is this something that's the norm? And as our meat processing clients will know, mm. yes, 50 hours is the norm, but actually the employer here didn't lead any evidence about that at all. So the court ultimately concluded, look, these 12 additional hours each week, it's not reasonable, not reasonable additional hours. Mm. And, you know, you, you failed to really pay a proper rate that covers off that overtime. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, does that mean our clients need to go back and reassess if their employees are doing reasonable overtime? Look, I think it's a really important thing just to keep this in mind always and just to remember, of course, that what's reasonable for one employee might not be reasonable for another. So, look, you know, always keeping on top of these and regularly checking in a really important thing to do just in respect of the hours. But, look, yeah, making sure that you document things and document them properly, I think the really biggest takeaway from this case. Absolutely. As always. Yeah, as always. Okay, so I'm talking about a, a work cover case on Cacao. I don't even want to try and pronounce it. It's not really the facts that are relevant, but more for our clients the importance of pre employment declaration. So, in that case, it, it was a Comcare scheme, so the government, the Commonwealth based workers' comp scheme, but and a guy had injured his ankle aggravated it many, many years later and the employer sought to deny his work cover claim on the basis that he hadn't provided full disclosure of the ankle injury, which had happened 30-odd years earlier. Oh, wow, yeah, okay. The court accepted the worker's claim on the basis that he had made sufficient disclosure that he had had a pre-existing injury. But I just really want to push home the importance of pre-employment declarations and There are two really powerful sections in the Victorian and Queensland workers' comp legislation which provides that if you provide an an employee before they start employment with a pre-employment declaration, 
make it clear what the nature of the job is and what the inherent requirements of the job are, both physical and from a psychological point of view mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Ask them if they have got any pre-existing injuries that might be impacted by the nature of that particular role that they're applying for. And then if they don't make accurate disclosure that they've got a pre-existing injury and that injury is aggravated at work by the nature of the role, then their work cover claim can be rejected. Yeah, so it's huge. not used a lot, but it's something that's very, very important to have available to you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because obviously the benefits are benefits are obvious so yeah. you can avoid a work cover claim. So, But it's just really important your documentation is sets out the criteria that's in the legislation. Mm -hmm. I've actually Googled just as a matter of interest, pre-employment declarations, not a single one that I've seen meet the criteria of the Act. Fascinating, except for ours. Except we've, we've got really good ones, actually. That's right. <laughs> and look, Kim, outside of the work cover aspects, you know, can pre-employment checks of that nature be used for any other purpose? Yeah, they can because, you know, it's requiring employees to make an honest disclosure. And if they're not honest in something that's fundamental to their employment, well, then it can allow an employer to take disciplinary action for their dishonesty. Yeah, okay, look, really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Always coming back to the dishonesty, I think, is such an important and yeah, fundamental yeah. part of the employment relationship. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, really interesting. Oh, thanks, Kim. Oh, look, just for our, our third and final case today, I think if you've uh, tuned into the briefing over the last, you know, since it started, uh, you'll have heard the facts of this case on several occasions, City Water Corporation and, and Yelda. Uh, this is the case involving the poster in which the employee Yelda uh, posed for the marketing campaign and then it was used with some, you know, really just sort of insensitively toned language about the, you know, the don't wait lubricate on the poster, which really, you know, really offended her and upset her. Yeah. This has such a litigious history, a fascinating history of being all over the place, the Australian Human Rights Commission, the New South Wales Supreme Court, the Court of Appeal, mm. the Civil and Administrative Tribunal. Yeah. So just a really, you know, it's just a complete breakdown, really, in the employment relationship. And where it's most recently come back to the fore here is now in the Fair Work Commission. So, Although these things have all happened over the last six years, really, because the poster went up in 2016 yeah, and we're now 2022, so a really long time mm. ago, Yelda didn't resign or finish up her employment until 2020 uh, oh. in December of that year. So she was off for, obviously, there was a period of time she was on personal leave, a period of time that she was on a work cover claim, mm. and then a period of time where she was unfit to return to work. But in the midst of that, of course, implemented and instigated all of these bits of litigation around the sexual harassment. And while that was going on effectively, uh, City Water just stopped talking to her. Mm. You know, they stopped talking to her as an employee and they were Being really only... Absolutely. Yeah, well, as you're about <laughs> to find out as well. And they really only engaged with her in the context of the litigation. Mm. So she resigned in December after one of the civil administrative tribunal decision of finding that she'd been sexually harassed. And then it's brought a constructive dismissal claim. And so she's made an unfair dismissal claim in the Fair Work Commission. The first instance, you know, the commissioner said, well, look, notwithstanding that this was, you know, four years after this sort of incident with the poster mm -hmm. happened, the genesis of this entire relationship and what's happened, including the, the uh, resignation, all comes from this poster. Yeah. And the commissioner broke it all down and looked through all the evidence and said, look, I'm, I'm satisfied that in the circumstances where, you know, City Water Corporation didn't talk to this employee for two and a half years, mm. that she had no other choice but to resign. 
so the, the corporation appealed to the full bench and the full bench said, look, we don't necessarily agree with all of the kind of conclusions that the commission has reached, yeah. but effectively came to the same conclusion and said, look, you know, resignation, it's a constructive dismissal, unfair dismissal claim can go. So it's back down to a first instance commissioner to look at the okay. substantive issues. Okay. Yeah. So Matt, though, is this a case that's so unique that our clients don't really need to worry about it? Look, yes and no, Kim. I mean, there certainly is a really unique set of circumstances here, yeah. but I think it's a really important reminder to sort of never forget to deal with people in a sensitive way. Although, you might, you know, reasonable minds might differ about the sort of extent and severity of the conduct that sort of led to everything here. It's really important just, you know, treat those issues sensitively, mm. treat it in a reasonable way, and just make sure that you, you're thinking about employee-specific circumstances when you're dealing with them. Because, look, you know, if you don't do it in the right way, you might be seen to have forced them out the door if they resign. Mm. So really just an important reminder here treat people nicely, yeah. and remember to take into their, account their personal circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's yeah. a beautiful segue. Into... An absolutely fantastic segue, maybe almost like we did it by design, <laughs> Kim, uh, segue straight into our, our topic for today, which obviously is about uh, performance managing employees and really about reasonable management action. And, Kim, yeah. you know, this is right in your wheelhouse in the workplace oh, space. So much yeah. of what I do in WorkCover is dealing with this issue particularly in relation to defending work cover claims for mental health injury. So, as I said before, mental health claims are increasing. Employees are aware of their ability much more to bring a claim. And, as I said, the regulators are accepting many more claims than they have before. So, what I'd like to talk about is to give our clients some really key points to keep in mind always front of centre when they are managing a difficult employee and that will set them up to have the best chance of defending a work cover claim. So when we talk about reasonable management action, obviously we're only dealing with the mental health work cover claims, not physical claims. So there are three defences to a mental health work cover claim. One is they haven't suffered an injury, so it's got to be a diagnosable injury. Stress is not an injury. Typically we're seeing an adjustment disorder post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, wow. So either no injury, injury didn't arise at work, so mm. out of or in the course of employment yes, is yep, the test. Yep. But if it did arise at work, was it wholly or predominantly due to management action taken in a reasonable manner? So every jurisdiction across the country has a reasonable management action defence to a work cover claim. The most obvious defence to a mental health claim is the reasonable management action. So I just want to talk about setting yourselves up to put yourselves in the best position so that you can successfully defend a claim. You will always be able to recognise your red flag employees. Mm -hmm. They're the most cantankerous and difficult, prickly, often at times. And you can generally you can generally tell when someone's going to put in a work cover claim. Mm -hmm. So we say be at your absolute best Mm behaviour to deal with your worst employees. Yes. Yeah. Because I have seen a claim be accepted when a really, well, typical employer, for want of a better word, <laughs> she was sitting there rolling her eyes in a disciplinary meeting at her boss. He got frustrated and slammed his fist on the table. Oh, dear. That yes. one act mm. was enough to get that claim accepted. Yeah. Wow. So you've really got to be on your very best behaviour, no raising voices, no rolling your eyes at someone. Mm. Being empathetic, yeah. you can still be firm. Let's, you know, absolutely, you've got to be firm, but be empathetic, be fair, be generous, 
and be considerate of their personal circumstances mm -hmm. and what they might be going through outside of the workplace. Yeah. And that's where knowledge of your supervisors comes in and the knowledge that they have of their staff. But, mm -hmm. Well, we could talk about this, Rose, and I know oh, I don't have that much time. We so absolutely could. I'll be yeah. quick. So just if there's any sort of meet, you, if you're inviting someone to a meeting, always good advice to give them advance warning. So don't just spring it on them at the last mm -hmm. minute and always tell them what we'll be discussing at the meeting because otherwise, and I've seen this time and time again, they say I was ambushed. I went into a meeting. I didn't know who was going to be there. I didn't know what mm -hmm. we were talking it's about. Common. Yeah. Really common. So yeah. don't ever put yourselves in that position. Document everything. I mm. cannot tell you how important oh, yeah. this is. The theme of today. Yeah. <laughs> Employers will often try and take a more relaxed approach with the difficult employees mm -hmm. because they don't want to upset them, so they take it gently, gently, have sort of little discussions with them, but nothing's formalised. Mm -hmm. It is those claims that will always be accepted yep. without doubt because the insurers will say there wasn't management action. Having a chat to someone that, you know, they're coming in late or they're treating someone badly, that's not management action. You actually, I actually recommend formally performance improve performance improvement plans yes. put in place yeah. yep. to deal with employees. With the right details. Absolutely. Yeah. So they have to know what they've done wrong, what the expectations on them are to fix it, mm. how they can fix it, mm -hmm. by when they have to fix it. Yeah. And, again, we've got a really good performance improvement plan we template. We absolutely do. Which will really help to set up the defence of any work cover claim. The things that the insurers, interestingly and very frustratingly, always focus on is were they invited to have a support person at every meeting? So always, always, always offer a support person. Yes. Always offer EAP if you have an EAP. Always EAP, absolutely. Also, really important, follow your own policies because mm. if you have a complaints or grievance code of conduct policy, always make sure you follow it when you're managing these employees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you don't have a policy, that's okay because it actually gives you a bit more flexibility. Mm -hmm. But if you do have a prescriptive policy, you must follow it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, look, I'm conscious that because I spoke a lot at the beginning, Kim, we're sort of running oh, a little okay. bit short on time Sorry. there. But, look, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the key takeaways absolutely, from what Kim said, and this is absolutely your expertise, mm -hmm. Kim, it's that it's that inner reasonable matter. That's the part that we often see. It's very relevant in the bullying and relevant in the unfair dismissal context yep. too. You can have all the rolled gold best processes in the world and you should have those and document them. You've got to carry it out in a reasonable manner. Yeah. Think about who it is. Think about those particular circumstances and take them into account really when you're doing all of these things because it's going to pay dividends when you need to defend the work cover claim, mm. when you need to defend the bullying allegation or when you need to defend the unfair dismissal claim. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, and look, th thank you so much, Margaret. I see, yes, absolutely, uh, you know, noticing that stress written on a medical certificate is now being accepted in New South Wales. So, oh, well, see, there look, you go. There that you go. goes to my point about eye care, just not wanting yeah. to reject claims. They don't want to reject yeah. it. They don't want to reject it. All right, well, look, we might move on to the case study. Obviously, we get excited about all this news yeah. and about reasonable management actions. So I'll let Kim read through that. Okay. So after... Yeah, you might have to take... Yeah, sorry. We, just got, we had a little extra pop-up on the screen. So okay. <laughs> you will read for the paper. So Dennis was a difficult soul. He worked for Carmel, who was the production supervisor at the Somerville plant of South Bee's lovely ocean trout hatcheries, or sloth. Great name. And which was the packaging arm of the Tasmanian fish farm business. Dennis was a machine operator on the vacuum sealing end of the slicing packaging machine. He was quarrelsome, fractious and cantankerous. 
On regular occasions, he complained about the safety of his machine, suggested improvements, and although risk assessments were arranged by Carmel, they always came back saying that his suggestions made no improvement in safety but were alternatives to achieving the same outcome. One even went as far to say his suggestions were confected to slow production and create disruption and had no value at all, and this was from an external OHS consultant. And after reading that report, Dennis complained of feeling stressed at work and said he was being targeted at work for his complaints around safety. Carmel read his written complaint. It was a nonsense. He had not been targeted. Each issue he raised had been assessed and it was found required no change in the safety processes. Dennis also alleged that he'd been repeatedly targeted by Carmel around his attendance. He'd been late to work seven times in the last month without explanation and Carmel had on each occasion spoken to him when he arrived, asked for an explanation and reminded him under the policy he must advise ASAP when he'll be late as it holds up the line. On each occasion, he blamed traffic, pointed out that he was only 10 minutes late. On the last occasion, Carmel said if it happened again, there would be disciplinary consequences. He had three days of sick leave in the last two months without evidence of a medical certificate and he didn't advise Sloth that he would not be at work until after 10am, but his shift had started at 7. On the last occasion, Carmel said if it happened again, late advice and or ev no evidence of being sick, there would be disciplinary consequences. He said he was so sick he couldn't call or go and see a doctor and he remained a fire. In his complaint, he said he was protected by the whistleblower policy around safety risk complaints. Carmel spoke to Adrian, the group ops manager. He agreed they should write to Dennis, say there was no company breach, so the whistleblower provisions do not apply. He had been treated fairly by Carmel on each occasion. Both Carmel and he were very happy to meet with him and assist to resolve any issues. I'm so conscious of time, Matt. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Keep working. No, no, very good. All right. So, look, everyone, thanks so much. As always, you know, sign on to the link in the, uh, in the comments or scan the QR code and then we'll blitz through these answers once we get back to the other side. <laughs> Gee, it's an interesting fact scenario, this one, drafted by our interim leader, Andrew, of course. Yes. Uh, tried to throw some curveballs there in there. There are some curveballs. Yeah. We had to actually yeah. discuss them. They're we not did. Obvious. We absolutely did, yeah. So we'll see what people um, We did have to have a think about that and so on with him a little bit just so we could, uh, you know, <laughs> make sure we understood what he was yeah. looking to get out of this one. But, uh, yeah, always interesting when you've got uh, safety complaints and when you've got performance issues exactly. managing at the same yeah. time, you know, very on brand for what we've been talking about today. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, yeah, so look, um, oh, and so and just while we're, um, while people are doing that, we've got some information coming out next week to our clients that Nana has been putting together. Yes, that's right. Break, so yes, yeah, yeah. So look out for that. Yeah, keep an eye on your email inboxes, I believe, yeah. is where you'll see that. So, um, yeah, thanks really to Nina helpful. for yeah, her expertise and putting a lot of time and effort for that. Yeah. Absolutely, really, absolutely. Really as she always does. All right, so excellent. Well, look, um, obviously the first question, does Dennis have an adverse action claim? And look, a uh, bit of an interesting one here. There's two sort of incidents in this that could perhaps give rise to that. But what this is an important reminder of is, it would, would he have an adverse action claim? Well, look, he could make one, but it wouldn't be successful. Basically, when you look at this fact scenario, 
he's obviously he's made the complaints about safety and he's obviously been ill and or absent and late in relation to the tardiness. But anything that would be done in terms of the warnings or anything like that, it wasn't done for the reason by the decision maker that he had made those complaints or inquiries mm. about his work. So yes, could he make them? Would he be successful? I think the answer to that one really is no. No, no, absolutely. All right, and was he a whistleblower at law? So for our repeat attendees, you recall there was a case about this one in our case summaries last week. In short, his complaints about safety, yes, he could make them, but it's not a protection to just make any complaints that aren't valid. In the circumstances, we've undertaken that external investigation with the consultant to assess this and made a conclusion that comes to a different view as his. His different view, not a protected disclosure at law. Yeah. All right. And third question, could Dennis make a successful workers' comp claim for stress if he presented a medical certificate from a qualified doctor diagnosing anxiety and PTSD from his treatment by Brian and Carmel? Okay, injury, tick. Reasonable management action will be the defence here. Okay. On the safety issue, that was all managed. They addressed his safety concerns so he won't get up on his work cover claim. On the attendance issues, it really depends on how well Carmel addressed it, mm. if it was documented, if she can demonstrate to the insurer that she treated him fairly and that all steps she take, took were reasonable. So it all comes down to the formality of the management action and how well it's documented, keeping yep. in mind that how well it's documented. the employer yep. has to prove that management action was taken out and it was reasonable. Yeah. It's not the worker to prove that it wasn't. No, that's right. Very that's right, Kim. So, yeah, big takeaways from today. Do things reasonably in yeah. all occasions. Make sure you document it really well. Yeah. Thank well, thank you so much, Kim. This has been fun for you and I to do. Um, and for everyone watching at home, you can please send through, uh, you know, react on LinkedIn for us. Your interactions help us spread the message of the briefing even further. I know Andrew loves the love heart as the react. If you could <laughs> give us the insightful or even the thinky face. I think that's a fun one too. Um, that'd be really excellent. But look, thanks so much everyone for tuning in. All the best for the rest of the week and um, you'll see some uh, mixture of us uh, next week on yep. Friday. Excellent. Bye weekend, everyone. everyone.